opening praise tonight is hymn number 265. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Let's stand and let's really sing as we open our meeting tonight.
Thank you, that was good singing. It's encouraging to see the seats being carried in. We're just going to ask uh, Wesley McCauley if he'll come now and open our meeting tonight and a wee word of prayer. Wesley, please. Thank you. Let us all pray. Our Heavenly Father and Eternal God, we bow with reverence and humility in thy presence this evening. And we thank thee for this opportunity that we, right at the very start of our gospel service, that we can come right into the presence of the Most Holy God. And O Lord, we come and we seek thy face tonight and we just thank thee even for the occasion that brings us all together here. We thank thee, Lord, that we have come to hear the preaching of the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, Lord, we just thank thee for each head that is bowed here before thee tonight that has that assurance of everlasting life. They've known the power of the precious blood of the Lamb that we've been singing about. And there's been that time in their experience when they've come and surrendered their lives and their hearts to thee. But Lord, we know that there may be some who are gathered in this hall tonight and or some who's perhaps listening in over the internet and as yet they haven't come to that place where they've surrendered and given their life to thee. And oh Lord, we just pray that as the gospel goes forth tonight, both through the messages and song and in the preaching of thy word. Lord, we pray that you will speak to hearts, that men and women, boys and girls, will come to that place where they will give their hearts and their lives to thee, where they will know the joy of having their sins forgiven. So, Lord, we pray that you will come and work in our midst tonight. We pray for those who will minister in song. We pray, Lord, that thou will be with them and their ministry will be blessed tonight. And we pray especially for our pastor as he handles thy word Lord, we pray that you'll give him that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. And as the word goes forth, O oh Lord, tonight may he have the joy of pointing some precious soul to thee. So be with us now and bless us. And we'll be careful to give thee all the praise, the honour and all the glory for all that thou dost do. For we ask it for thy name's sake. Amen. Thank you, Wesley, for leading us in prayer tonight. Uh, Mervyn, he was commenting about the glasses here the other night, and I'm at the stage I need glasses, but I'm going to try this without the glasses. So, Mr. Parker's a nice wee iPad here, and it's, the font's not too bad. So, it's big, big writing. So it's, it's not too bad. The big writing's for you, brother, is it? No, it's for you. <laughs> We're very glad tonight to have singers with us, and we've been blessed by the singing at our mission so far. And uh, at this stage, I'd like to ask the Brick Quartet to come. And to bring the first two pieces of song to us, please. Thank you. Christ will meet you there, God. 
Strong. 
Thank you very much. That was a very good message, and what a message that is. Christ for me. Nobody else can set you free. The Lord Jesus Christ can. I was just thinking there while they were singing that, I was speaking to a man at work this week, and he had a lot of problems in his life, and he was telling me about all these problems, and it just seemed to me that he was just staggering from one problem to another. I had the answer for him, you know, but he wouldn't listen. I said to him, come to the, come to the town hall and I can introduce you to the man who will sort out all your problems. And I'm sure he thought it was a bit unreal, you know, but I think he knew what I was talking about. But men and women tonight, you've come here and we want to introduce you to a man who can sort out your problems. I'm not going to preach, obviously, because there would be no preacher, but uh, I thought I'd take that way opportunity to share that because sometimes we don't realise the amount of problems we deal with on a daily basis. And we bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, deal, he deals with them just one by one. And we never think, well, it doesn't build up. Because we can bring them all to him. And that's a great thing as a Christian. But you're very welcome tonight, one and all. It's good to see each and every one of you. And the mission has been well attended. Every night there's been few empty seats. And that's good. And if you're here for the first time tonight, we give you an extra word of welcome. And if you're watching on YouTube, Sermon Audio or Facebook, we also welcome you. You're welcome to our meeting and we pray that you'll enjoy your meeting at the meeting uh, as you uh, watch from home or wherever you're watching from. The Gospel mission continues on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock and then the rest of the week at 8pm here every night. And Put it in your diaries to come and also put it in your diary to ask somebody along. It's a hard thing to do, I know, because I try it most days. And it's not easy uh, asking your family members, it's not easy asking your workmates. But make a wee special effort to get somebody into the meeting and uh, the Lord will bless you for it, I can assure you. Remember uh, the Sunday morning services and all the, the meetings on Sunday also. Remember too, when you come here, uh, at 8 o'clock, there's a prayer meeting on down below, in the wee room down below. So, in the MacArthur room, there's a meeting from half past seven each night. And it's important that we get before the Lord Jesus Christ and we ask him for his help as we conduct our meetings here. Uh, on Sunday night, the Hebron Choir, will, the Youth Choir, sorry, will be singing. So that's the younger version of us old boys. Okay. Next Friday night is a special night. Uh, there's a man called Andy Copeland, an ex-paramilitary, and he's coming to testify. And uh, don't miss that. That'll be a good meeting. Okay, hymn number 94 is our next hymn. Jesus is standing in Pilate's Hall. This hymn is not terrible familiar to us all, so uh, let's try our very best. Help me out and sing as best you can. Let's down and really sing.
Our singers, the Brook Quartet, to come once again and sing to you as their final piece, and then the Reverend Park. I'll bring the message tonight and close the meeting. Thank you.
As I like to do, I want to bid you welcome also, give my words to you, uh, thanking you for coming along tonight. It's good to see all who have made it to the meeting. Thank the, the Brooke Quartet. Whenever they come in, I went down just to meet them. And I think I said, are you the Brooke family? <clears throat> so I was just checking. Uh, but they're not all members of the one family. It's not the Brooke family, so we'll get your names afterwards. Good to have you. Thanks for coming and ministering in song. Can I ask a wee question? Because I was in the prayer meeting <coughs> earlier. Is, is Matt and Isabel Patton here? Okay, you're down there. These folks have travelled over from Scotland uh, to be with us for the weekend. So we want to bid you a very warm word of welcome in the Saviour's name. And we look forward to meeting you and seeing you over the weekend. You're especially welcome. Everybody happy with the, the temperature tonight? All right. You see, we came on Sunday and, and the place was freezing. They forgot to put the heat on and then they've no control of the heat here. All has to be done from somewhere else in Riata House. And then we came the other nights and people were roasted. I was, I was okay. I don't mind the heat, but some people were so roasted uh, they thought they were going to pass out, including my wife. Uh, so <clears throat> we want to keep everyone happy. So the caretaker said he would definitely get the, the, the heating situation sorted out for tonight. I came in this evening, I thought it was a wee bit on the cooler side, uh, but if you're happy, that's, that's the main thing. It doesn't really matter about me. We're glad to have you. I want you to open the scriptures tonight to the same passage of scripture that we've been in this past couple of nights, Matthew 27. <coughs> and as you open the Bible tonight, let me just encourage you to keep on inviting others to come. Uh, this Friday night brings us to the end of the first week. It's so incredible that when you begin a mission, every night comes and goes so quickly, and the, the meetings seem to just fly by. Uh, months ago, we were planning for this mission. Whenever we were to have it a month ago, as you know, we postponed it because of the Queen's death, and so we, we began last Sunday night. Uh, but the first week is gone, or will be gone, when this meeting is over. But please, for the last week, the second week, invite others to come. And we want you to be much in prayer, both at home and if you can get to the prayer meetings half an hour before the services each night, we would love to see you just in that little room. I was thinking tonight, sitting there, I don't know what it was like when the 120 came to pray in that period leading up to Pentecost. We know for 10 days they, they got together in obedience to the Lord. Jesus told them as he ascended to glory or just before he ascended to glory to go back to the city of Jerusalem and to wait for the promise of the Father to tarry until they would be endued with power from on high. And that's what they did. They went back and they prayed. And prayer is the key if we want to see the work of the Spirit in our day and generation. There's no quick way to getting the blessing of God. It must be by prayer. And so we encourage you to come and be present with us at the prayer meetings. Now, if you've been with us these nights, I felt very exercised just to, to stay in one day throughout the whole mission. All right, the mission's for two weeks, but there's a day that's so important, and it's the day of the cross. And it's that period of time, probably the characters that we're looking at, it's less than 24 hours. So we began to think about Judas. We thought about Peter we thought about the man with no name. Uh, we thought about Barabbas 
And we also thought last night about Pilate's wife. Now tonight we're going to look at Pilate and we're going to read the word of God as we have it here in Matthew chapter 27, covering some of the verses that we read uh, this past couple of nights. I want to begin at verse 1, just the opening two verses, and then we'll go down to the 11th verse. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have I nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could reveal nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We'll end the reading there at verse 26. Let's bow together just for a moment, please, in prayer and seek the face of our God tonight. Lord, we're glad that we've come through this week and the blessing of the Lord has been here night by night. You've brought the people in. We're so thankful for that. Thank you for each one that's here this evening and those that are joining us on the internet. Thank you for the ministry and song from your servants who have come and the hymns that we have sung this evening. We have been led to consider Christ. We have been brought, most importantly, to the cross to think about the place where he died and shed his blood that we might have salvation. We pray as we come to your word now that you'll help us just to settle into this final part of the meeting and to bring our thoughts and this objection to your word. We pray that you'll speak to every individual that's here, especially any who know not the Lord as their Savior. We pray that the Spirit of God will, will open their heart and open their mind to divine truth and that they might see their need of Christ tonight and flee to him 
and know what it is to have their sins forgiven and pardoned forevermore. Grant me now the infilling of God the Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we come to the character of Pilate, there's so many, many texts, so many things that we could preach on tonight. But I want to think about Pilate trying to get Jesus off his hands. And he didn't get a good, do a good job with that either. And I'm taking for my text verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could reveal nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and, and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Jesus Christ is dragged before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. He is accused of many things. He is examined of all the charges that were brought before him. And at the end of that examination, he exclaimed over and over again, I find no fault in him. From the moment Pilate met Jesus Christ, he tried to wash his hands of him. He didn't want to make a decision about God's son. He was in a quandary, you see. He didn't want to condemn him nor fall out with the Jews. The Romans controlled the Jewish province at this particular time. They were severe in their demands and their taxations. Pilate, we are told, was triply severe in his control and brutality. He really, as you, you look at history, was a tyrant. So harsh was he that some influential Jews, they traveled to Rome to intercede with Caesar, Caesar to have Pilate recalled and a more kind and humane man put in charge. Pilate had the ability to make the right decision. Remember, as he stands before Christ, he says, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Pilate had a decision to make. The most important decision of his life. Because that decision was to do with Christ. Before him stood the sinless Christ. He that was just and holy, honest and true. And everything that was sensible said to Pilate's mind, release him. Before him stood the Son of God. That's who it is that's standing before Pilate. And Pilate had insight and he had knowledge about this. In fact, it is John who tells us a little bit about this in John chapter 19. And I'm going to read just a few verses. I'll read them quickly to you. But I want you to see that Pilate understood something about this man called Jesus Christ. So it's chapter 19 of John's Gospel in verse 7. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he, that is Jesus, ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. But Pilate therefore heard that saying, He was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? In other words, where have you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest not that I have power to crucify thee and I have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath a greater sin. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, 
If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. So it's very evident that, that Pilate was greatly troubled when he thought about who it is that's standing before him. He is the sinless Christ. He's the son of God. He's the sovereign king. That's who Jesus was. Pilate asked him the question, art thou the king? And never forget over the head of Christ there on the cross, written in the languages of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, was the inscription that Pilate ordered Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And when the Pharisees uh, insisted that that was changed, Pilate refused. And he says, what I have written, I have written. So Pilate was convinced who Christ was. Also, he's the seeking saviour. That's who stood before him. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Christ seeks out men that he might impart salvation to them. And he's also the, the saving redeemer. The only one who could redeem the soul of Pontius Pilate. He was able to save him and save him to the uttermost. This is who stood before Pilate. This is the person that Pilate must make a decision about, give a verdict about, release or condemn. Now, Pilate wanted to remain neutral. He tried his best to sit on the fence, but he discovered he couldn't. The tide of events brought Christ back again and again to Pilate's judgment seat. Now, unconverted people are still faced with the inevitable Christ. It is he with whom you and I have to do. It is Christ before whom we are going to stand one day. It is Christ that we will give an account unto. And so we must make a decision. You must make a decision. And you will make a decision about Jesus Christ. Every time you, you sit in a gospel meeting like this, come to a mission, go to a gospel service on a Sunday night, whatever the case might be, you are faced with the issues of Christ and eternity. And every time you come, you make a decision before you leave. Every time you listen to a gospel message, every time you are invited to the Lord, every time an appeal is made for you to come to Christ, every time the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, every time a Christian urges you, to be reconciled to God and to get right with God, you make a decision. But for many, you want to remain neutral. You don't want to be for or against Christ. But you will soon discover, like Pontius Pilate, that you must do something. You must do something with Jesus Christ. Because Pilate got to that moment at the end of the trial when he asked that question, what shall I do? What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? He had to do something. And tonight you might try to avoid making a decision. And you might evade the issue. And you might try to, to stay away from choosing Christ as Savior. But I tell you this, you will make a decision before you go out that door and go to your car or walk home, whatever way you came here tonight, you will make a decision concerning Christ. And what I want to do very simply is just to bring to your attention this man, Pontius Pilate, 
And I want to show you from God's word the ways in which he tried to get rid of Jesus, tried to wash his hands of the Lord. First of all, he tried to palm him off onto the Jews. Will you turn for a moment to John chapter 18? And notice what it says in verse 29 to 31. Pilate then went out unto them, out unto the Jews, and, and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. The Jews had one, one object. They had one un- unbending ambition. And that was the murder of Jesus Christ. Jealous of his popularity and hatred towards his claim of deity, they resolved to kill him. But they did not have the power of life and death. Remember, Rome was in occupation here in Israel. And that's why they came to Pilate in the first place. Pilate told them, you take Christ, you judge him according to your law. This certainly indicates a desire that Pilate wanted nothing to do with the case. From the very start, it is evident that he wished not to get involved And he wanted to avoid condemning Christ. How this feeling originated in his heart, I cannot tell. For really, Pilate, as we know, was a ruthless man. He didn't care about the people. It seems to me that Pilate had a good deal of knowledge about who Jesus Christ was and claimed to be. The Savior had not ministered for three and a half years in that area without him being known in the palaces of rulers. The fame and the character of Jesus had reached the ears of Pontius Pilate long before this day, long before Christ was actually brought physically to his presence for judgment. It is hard to suppose that his mighty miracles had never been discussed in the palace of the chief ruler of Judea. Surely Pilate would have heard about the conversion of Nicodemus. And I know Nicodemus at the start became a secretive disciple, but I'm sure that it was known. It was in the early part of the ministry of Christ. Nicodemus, this very religious man, this, this leader of the Jews, came seeking out the Lord Jesus. And you, you know the story in John chapter 3 and how that Jesus told him that he had to be born again. You see, Nicodemus was one of the most well known people in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, history tells us, not Bible history, but history tells us that he was one of the three most wealthy people that resided in Jerusalem at that time. Pilate would have known who this man was. And I'm sure he got to hear about the change in his life when Nicodemus got converted. And I'm sure that Pontius Pilate got to hear about the blind man that was healed, the record that were given in John chapter 9, because that was in the city of Jerusalem and other miracles too. These things would have reached his ears. And he would have heard more recently about the raising of Lazarus to life again because Bethany was just a a very short way away from Jerusalem. And to 
learn of such a mighty miracle, one that was dead, had been in the tomb for four days, being raised to life again, surely caused a stir in the hearts of the people, and this news would have reached Pontius Pilate. I'm sure he heard about the triumphant ride of Christ not long before this incident, when he came into the city of Jerusalem, when the crowds flocked out to meet him, and they hailed him as the king coming in such splendor. Blessed is the king, they said. You would think that at least the soldiers and the the officers of Pilate would have notified him. So Pilate knew that, that there was something different about Christ, something unique, something special, something very powerful. And he did not want to entangle himself with his affairs. You know, wicked men are very often very superstitious. And Pilate, I believe, was like that. He wanted the Jews to judge Christ. The whole responsibility, therefore, would be upon their shoulders. I would rather not be troubled about this case. That's what he was thinking. Can you not settle this matter for yourselves? But the Jews decided that their law had condemned Jesus to death and not having the authority over the death penalty, they bring him to Pontius Pilate. They reminded the Roman governor that the power of execution no longer resided with them. So his plan to palm him off onto the Jewish Sanhedrin, the the leadership of the Jews, failed completely. But then he came up with a second plan. And he decided to send him over to Herod. If you come to the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke, I want you to mark the the passage here. Luke chapter 23 and verse 6. Let me read the verses. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man, that is Jesus, were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood vehemently, accused him, and Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught, and mocked him, and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. You see what's happening here. Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee, a province that was up to the north of Jerusalem. Jesus had lived there, and Pilate seized the the opportunity to evade his responsibility by sending him over to Herod. When he heard that Herod was in town, that's where he sent him. Now, Herod had previously been an enemy to Pontius Pilate, but Pilate was willing to do anything. Yes, even make peace with an enemy just to get rid of Jesus. He was willing to make friends with an old enemy to avoid the fateful question, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Herod was another wicked man. Very often that is the case with position and power. He was sensual. He was worldly. He was the murderer 
of John the Baptist. He was a man that was living in adultery with his brother's wife. And we might think to ourselves, why would he ever want to meet with Jesus Christ or desire even to see him? They had absolutely nothing in common. But again, the fame of Christ and his preaching and his miracles had reached the ears of Herod. He hadn't forgotten about John the Baptist that he had murdered. And I'm sure that his conscience was often troubled because we're told that Herod feared John. He really feared him. Now another was risen up who was like John, who was even more faithful and bold in his preaching and condemnation of sin. He had probably heard about Jesus through his steward, Chusa, whose wife was Joanna. Joanna was a disciple of Christ. And no doubt curiosity stirred his heart. Herod thought that Jesus was some kind of performer, some kind of of magician, if you like. And he asked him to, to do a few miracles just for entertainment. Herod failed to see who Jesus really was. He saw him as a foolish and a fanatical person, a person to be mocked and ridiculed, not to be worshipped and feared. He questioned him with many words, but again, Jesus said nothing. All the silence of Christ before his many accusers. Herod then made sport of him. He allowed the Jews to accuse him and slander him, and he sent him back to Pontius Pilate. Pilate could not get rid of Jesus that way. But then he came up with a third plan. He suggested, I will whip him, and then I will set him free. Again, we have it here in Luke chapter 23 and verse 16. I will therefore chastise him and release him. Pilate sees nothing worthy of death in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at the previous two verses, verses 14 and 15, he said, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people, and behold, I having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof ye accuse him. Nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. The Roman and the Galilean governors were were both of one mind. They both agreed in their judgment, pronouncing Jesus not guilty. Not guilty of the things that were led against him. And so Pilate says in this 16th verse, I will therefore chastise him and let him go. That word chastise means to chastise by scourging. We know that that's what happened. The Jews knew how cruel and excruciating scourging was. And we can hardly imagine what that really entailed. It was a severe punishment by lashing. The Romans used a whip of cords made all the more painful by attaching little pieces of brass or lead or sharp-pointed bones or stones to the end of the lashes. The victim was stripped to the waist and bound in a stooping position with his hands tied behind his back to a post or pillar. And the suffering under the lash was intense. The body was frightfully lacerated, as you can imagine, And Pilate hoped that such a punishment would be enough. He felt that such a terrible flogging 
might satisfy their their thirst. Or maybe arouse pity and soften them. But no, it only whetted their appetite for his death. And they cried out the more. And so still, Jesus is in the hands of Pontius Pilate. That plan did not work. Then he tried to get rid of Jesus another way. Turn back to Matthew 27. And he thought, I will reason with the crowd. Chapter 27, verse 22 and 23. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They say, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Pilate heard the case. He judged the matter. He scrutinized the the allegations. He pondered the accusations. He considered the slanders. But was inwardly satisfied and convinced that Jesus Christ was innocent. And certainly had done nothing worthy of death. They knew that Jesus was delivered because of envy. And so he appeals to them. Why? What evil hath he done? Why should the Jews hate him? He wasn't a robber. He was not a murderer. He was not a blasphemer of God. He was not one that reviled the prophets. No, his life was a life of love, as we know. And that little sentence that summarizes his ministry, remember, he went about doing good. That's what Jesus did in his lifetime here upon the earth. But still they cried out, let him be crucified. Pilate could not shirk his responsibility making a decision. Fifthly, as we saw this week, he gave the people a choice. And uh, we needn't turn to it. You could read John's account, John 18, 39 and 40. It talks about the custom there of releasing a prisoner. And we have it in the other Gospels as well. Pilate had a plan. He selected the worst prisoner that he could possibly think about that was in jail. A murderer. This man called Barabbas. A notorious criminal. And Pilate evidently reasoned that though the chief priests wanted Jesus killed, that that the mass of the people would rather have Jesus pardoned and released than Barabbas, the murderer, set free on the streets again. Perhaps the people who had seen the miracles of Christ and, and heard the preaching of Christ and felt the love of Christ would by popular clamor overrule the proud Pharisees and Jesus therefore could be released without any blame being led to Pilate. And so he asked, Whither of the twain will ye that I release unto you? And to his shocked surprise, they all cried out, Barabbas! Barabbas! Pilate could not escape. He could not avoid the issue. It stared him straight in the eyes. And he must decide. And so must you. You must make a decision. Oh, finally, he washed his hands. As we read in this text, chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 24, when he saw that he could reveal nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Pilate called for a basin of water. 
And then he walked out before the public and he said as he washed his hands, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Pilate washed his hands, but does any sensible person believe that he thereby avoided any responsibility for the death of Christ? He washed his hands in an historic display of his neutrality, yet history judges that Pilate's hand nailed Jesus to the cross, and the scripture is plain when it comes to this. Matthew 27 and verse 26 Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And that is verified in the Gospel of Luke and the chapter 23, where in verses 24 and 25, we read these words, Pilate gave the sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto him that for sedition and murder, was cast into prison, whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. So the scripture is clear, and history is clear. Pilate made a decision. He was responsible for handing Jesus over. There is a book, a book that is called Letters from Hell. And in it, Pilate is represented in the lost world of hell, Bending over a stream, washing his hands. Now, now, that's ridiculous because we know there's no water in hell. Not a drop of water to be found to cool the tongue of Lazarus, or the rich man that was there, you remember, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But this is a picture that's presented in, in this book. It's just a book, and it's just a story. And Pilate is represented there, bending over this stream, washing his hands. And as he bends over, dipping his hands in the water, somebody touches his shoulder and says, Will they never be clean? And with a shriek of agony that ran through, rang through the caverns of the dam, he cried out, Oh, will they never be clean? No. Poor Pilate, the blood of Jesus Christ has been upon him in hell for almost 2,000 years. He had his chance in Jerusalem. He had his opportunity to do the right thing when Jesus stood before him. There were many cries sounding in the ears of Pilate that day. One set of cries, we think of the Jews. We think of popularity. We think of Caesar. We we think of his job. We think of his friends. We, We think of Satan himself. And they're all crying in his ear. And then on the other hand, on the other side, the cry of decency and truth and justice. His wife who sent that message that we looked at last night. His conscience, the voice of right, the Holy Spirit, the voice of reason. But he listened to the wrong voice and he made the wrong choice. You know, my friends, there's many, many voices in your ear. Has been not just tonight in this meeting, but throughout the mission and for all we know for years in your life, the clamor of all those people and things that would keep you away from Jesus Christ. If you're not saved tonight, there have been many, many voices crying out to you, I know. Sinful companions, unconverted family, worldly pleasure, 
the lusts of the flesh, money and wealth, unbelief, the devil himself. And then, of course, there's the shout of all that would urge you to seek Jesus Christ. The voice of God himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would urge you to seek Christ. The voice of this preacher, the voice of many Christians that are here, maybe people in your family, people that you know, and they love you, and they would love you to be saved and brought to Christ. You hear their voice, the voice of the Bible. Maybe it's some mother, some father, some dear friend. The prayers of the saints, the very love of Christ, the bleeding sacrifice of the cross, all that is just and true. These are voices that are urging you to seek the Lord. What are you going to do? Are you going to be a Pontius Pilate? Are you going to try and and evade the issue? Are you going to neglect it? Are you going to, to wash your hands, as it were? You will make a decision. Before you go out those doors and go down the steps and go out into the cold air of this evening, you will make a decision. You're trying to get Jesus off your hands maybe just now. You come to the meetings, maybe even faithfully. You listen to the gospel. You hear about Jesus Christ. You You listen to the sufferings of the Savior, the agony of the cross, but you have never come and trusted in Christ as your Savior. Oh, there have been times when when you felt the operation of the Spirit of God upon your soul. You have been moved. You have been melted inwardly as you've listened to the gospel and you've been almost persuaded to be a Christian. Almost there. Almost taken that step. You've tried to sit on the fence, however, and neither before nor against. And you've been putting it off, haven't you? You've been delaying it, and you've been halting between two opinions, and you've been ignoring the voice of the Lord, and you have been shunning your responsibility. You have been evading it. You've been shirking your responsibility. You've attempted to wash your hands, haven't you? But you can't be neutral. There's no middle ground on this. When it comes to Christ. Do you know when you don't accept Jesus as your saviour. You reject him. Because salvation is a gift. It's the gift of God. And just as true as I would present a gift to you. And hand it over to you. If you don't receive that gift. You have rejected it. If you leave my presence. And that gift is still in my hand. You have rejected that gift. You have left without that gift. And in a greater sense, a higher sense, when the gift of eternal life is presented to you through Jesus Christ our Lord, when you walk away from that, you are rejecting it when you don't receive the Lord. When you don't answer the call, you turn away and you fail to open the door. You see, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And as you hear the voice of Jesus Christ speak to you that you might be saved and reconciled to God and know your sins forgiven and you refuse to open that door, you have turned away from him. But praise God, when you open the door, he says, I will come in. When he comes to you with an invitation, offering his love, desiring to save you, and you walk away, I tell you, my friend, you 
have made your decision and you're going to do that tonight. You're going to make a decision just now before you leave. What will it be? To receive Christ? To accept him? To trust him? Or to turn away and leave the gift behind? Let's bow together in prayer. I want to thank you for coming and thank you for your attention tonight, for giving us of your time this evening. I really appreciate that. And most of all, as you know, we desire your salvation. We desire that you come to know Christ as your Savior. We want to be as helpful as possible. Every night, maybe this is your first time, maybe it's not, but every night we say to folks, if we can help you, we're behind let us talk to you. If you have questions, we'll try to answer those questions. The Bible makes it clear that you need to be saved in order to get to heaven. And that's not a decision I can take for you. You must take that decision yourself. Will you turn and seek the Lord tonight? Will you come to him? We make ourselves available after the meeting. I am not in any hurry away. If you want to talk to us, please come and see us after the service. Talk to some other Christian, perhaps, that you know here tonight. Tell them how you feel in your heart that you would like to be saved. But don't delay this matter. Don't put it off. Heavenly Father, bless your word. It is your word. We learn so much from this character, Pontius Pilate in the Bible. We don't want anyone to end up like him, refusing Christ and turning away from him making the wrong decision. Lord, we pray that right decisions will be made and men and women here this evening will seek the Lord. Hear this, our prayer, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Is there a heart that is waiting, longing for pardon today? Hear the glad message proclaiming. I want you to know as we sing this hymn, the truth of what we're singing, Jesus is passing this way. Never a time the gospel is preached, never a time a mission is held. But Jesus is passing this way. And he's passing this way tonight. Will you avail yourself of the opportunity to come to him? I trust you will. Let's think of the words as we sing.
come to thy only Redeemer, come to his infinite love. Salvation is real. Many people can testify in this meeting tonight to this, the reality of God's salvation. There are some people here and they were saved in the town hall in 1948. And they're still going on with God. Of all different kinds of people here tonight, young and old in the know Christ. There's somebody who's just recently been saved. Isn't that right, Reuben? Come to know Christ as a child. The Lord can save you if you're a child. And I think of when Eamon came to the Lord a few years back. He wasn't a child when he came to the Lord. But he came in simple childlike faith. And the Lord saved him. And he can do the same for you tonight. When you come to him, gracious God dismisses in your love and in your fear. Bring sinners to Christ. And may Jesus be honored and glorified as a result of us coming here this evening. We ask in his name. Amen and amen.